And looking at the Baptist distinctives, once again, and this one is a, a vital one that uh, rose to the top uh, through the persecution of the uh, free churches uh, throughout the ages from the beginning, especially with the rise of the, the Catholic Church with, the, with that uh, uh, combination of, of government and church. Uh, what took place is there was a, um, a desire to funnel people through the church to get your direction, to get your sins forgiven, instead of recognizing that that's only through Christ, and you can do that anywhere. And so what took place is they began to uh, develop a priesthood, and that priesthood became the people that you would have to go through, much like the Old Testament priesthood, uh, to make the sacrifices to the Lord in the tabernacle. And they tried to equate that to the New Testament church. We know that's not true. And, uh, and so the doctrine that rose to the top here uh, through that persecution was the priesthood of the believer. And realizing that there's not a hierarchy of priests here, uh, that someone is, more, is closer to God than you are, every believer has equal access to God. Every one of us is a priest to our God. Amen. <clears throat> so you need nobody, no other man to, to talk to God, to, uh, to pray, to uh, whatever it is you need to have your sins, confess your sins, deal with things in your life. You don't need to go through people for that. Uh, you can go on your knees before the Lord and wherever you are, it doesn't have to be on your knees, but you just in prayer, confess your sins and he will forgive you because you are a priest to the Lord and you have access to the throne of God. Amen. And so it, it seems uh, likely that what will happen if there's an abusive uh, church system that is trying to control the people, that they're going to try to make them come through them to have their sins forgiven, uh, to do penance, uh, to uh, whatever you need to do in order to deal with yourself. And the priest becomes the one that has to, you've you heard of confessional booths and things like that. That's a result of their believing that they are the priesthood and you are not. And so we believe as Baptists that we are all priests to God. And we're going to prove that from the scriptures today. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 14, it says this, Seeing then that we have a high, great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. And so there we go. Uh, we have Jesus Christ open up that way. And now all of us, let us come boldly. Uh, we can all come before the throne of God and nobody, we don't need any other mediator to get there. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 19 says this. It says, having therefore brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say his flesh, and having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Amen. And so there once again we have a, a scripture that proves that the Lord has opened up the way for us through his sacrifice of his body. The veil was rent, and now we all have access into that holy place. 
uh, 1 Peter 2, verse 5, it says this, Ye also, as lively stones, are built up a spiritual house, and holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. And so, in the same way that the Old Testament priests would offer up sacrifices to the Lord, we as New Testament priests, we have sacrifices to offer up as well. But of course, it's not lambs and goats and oxen and, and blood and so forth. And we'll look at that a little bit later, what those are. 1 Peter 2 verse 9, it says, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, like I talked about this morning. We're not just a priesthood, but we actually have royalty in our blood, amen, through the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why I was saying, you know, when you look at the Old Testament and the consecration of the, of the Old Testament priests, you can, you can uh, argue all you want that, um, you know, I can do this and I can do that. But when you look at the, the stringent requirements upon the priest to keep their life right, to keep their judgment right, uh, to, you know, when you're, when you're a king, when you're a prince, to have proper judgment, to make proper decisions. That's why the Lord told them, don't drink wine, <laughs> you know. Don't, don't do things that will corrupt the way you think. And so we as New Testament believers are now a royal priesthood. So we have both of those functions. We're not only a priest, but we're also in royalty. We, we make judgments. We make uh, decisions that take a sober mind. Amen. And so that's a part of our requirement as well as we serve him. So this doctrine, I think I have one more verse there. Oh, I didn't finish reading that one. Uh, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people. There's only two groups of people in the Bible that were called peculiar. The first one was Israel in Exodus chapter 19, and the second one is the church. And so what does that mean to be peculiar? Does it mean to be strange? <laughs> does it mean to be someone that is acting weird and people look, oh, that's strange, <laughs> you know? No, that's not it at all. Peculiar is something that the Lord did is draw out from the whole aspect of the world and pull to him a specific treasure to himself. And he says, you are peculiar to me. So Israel, he did that through Abraham. And he says, through Abraham, I'm going to develop a nation and you're going to be a kingdom of priests, he says, and you, are, you will be a peculiar people. That means that, to, that the world will see that you are special to me. Amen? The church is the same way. The world needs to see that we are special to God because he has pulled us out. He has called us from the group. And uh, it may be not based on the same uh, criteria as Israel, but it's based upon our born-again spirit and our coming into the church and being used in the lighthouse that God has given us. And so through this church, you become peculiar and you, you stick out among the crowd, amen, in a good way, <laughs> not a strange way, all right? Uh, sometimes there are some strange groups out there. Uh, that's not our goal here is to become strange. Everybody says, what a weird group. No, they, they need to look at us and say, hey, they have something that is very special with God. That's what we want them to say, amen? Not just weird because they do weird things, <laughs> all right? And so it also goes, to, goes on to say a peculiar people that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So that's what it's all about. We are pulled aside. 
We are pulled together close to him, drawing near to him so that we can show forth the praises of God throughout this world. Amen? So that means you, you can't be all uh, full of anxiety and fear and depression and discouragement and I just want to quit. And that is not an attitude that is going to show forth the praises of God. We've got to begin understanding how to handle the pressures and the trials of life. It's within those trials, that's where they see who you are. Amen? Uh, someone once said, you know, you don't know what kind of tea it is until you put, it, until you put the bag in the hot water. And that's, where, that's when the flavor comes out, <laughs> you know. So you can say all you want what kind of tea you are and what brand you are and what flavor you are. You can tell people that all you want, but what, is, what the flavor really is is what happens when the water gets hot and you put the tea bag in. That's when the flavor comes out. That's when the scent arises. Amen. Oh, I understand that. That's a special kind of tea. And that's what they should say about God's people when the trouble comes, when the pressures come. Amen. So if we handle pressures like the world, uh, we got to be careful because they will not see the praises of God through your life. Amen. So the first thing I want to look at is the privilege of priesthood. It is a special privilege for a believer to have direct access into God's presence. And you know that. The Bible says that we were separated from him. Your iniquities have separated between you and your God. You and your lost state were far from him. Far from him. There's no way you could have accessed the Lord. You can even come close. You can even take a step towards him in your lost and sinful state. Yet the Lord somehow made a way for you that you could draw right into the presence, right into the throne room, right before his presence, and you can talk to him like he's your father. That is an amazing miracle that God has done for each one of us. Amen. It's a privilege. Romans 5.1 says this, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. That is one of the miracles that we have as God's people. And I think we preached on that already in Romans chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 2 says this, But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off, are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who hath made both one, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, and have abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments, we talked about that this morning, contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace. Talking about the Jews and the Gentiles, how that together we become one. So the church, you can't have a Jewish church and a Gentile church. When there's a church, whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, you just become one in that church. Amen. And that's why I sometimes you get a little concerned with churches today that base their attendance or their membership upon nationality and so they come over here and they just co congregate only with their people and it's almost like hey that's not the church <laughs> whether you're from china whether you're from uh, germany i don't care where you're from that wall of partition has been removed so why are we pretending like it's still there why are we living like it's still there you know we can't have national churches we can't have 
uh, ethnicity in our churches. We, we have to be, all of us have to be together, amen? Whether you're Filipino, whether you're whoever you are, you know, from Jamaica, I mean, from other parts of the world, we all become one in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what the church is supposed to be. And so I'm not really for, I understand it happens. I understand people come over from a different land. They don't know the language. They naturally congregate to those that know their language. But folks, <laughs> it's a dangerous thing to just simply congregate with a certain ethnicity and saying we are the church and we'll reach our people. That's not the New Testament church. The New Testament church is reaching everybody. It doesn't matter who you are, amen? And the church should contain every nationality. Uh, then you know that you're doing something right. All right, so it says um, that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you, which were afar off, and to them that were nigh. For through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. Amen. No, no priest in there, nobody else that we need to go through, but we just all have access to the Lord through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians 3.12 says this, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. Amen. So not just access where we're just kind of, oh, I don't know if I should be here. I mean, the Bible says you can have confidence going into the throne room of God. We come boldly before the throne of grace. There's something wrong with us if we're simply coming before the Lord and wondering whether we ought to be there. Because we're not no longer coming to him based upon our record we're coming to him based upon the record of his son. And that should give you great confidence, great boldness to enter into. It's just like Jesus is walking through the door. Amen. When you walk through the door. That's the record you have before, for the Father in heaven. And so that's the basis of, of your relationship with God. Number two, I want to talk about the position of priesthood. Um, God's will is to have mankind draw nigh to him. So it's always been like that. The sin has separated mankind from God. Uh, it brought us far away from the Lord. And so what his whole thing is right from the beginning is that God will bring us back to himself. That's what it's all about. And so what he did in the Old Testament, he began to illustrate that. If you look in Exodus, what he began to do, well, first what he did is he took the, the father of the home. Like Job. Job would offer sacrifices on behalf of his family and his children. He'd be the one, that, that one would be in charge of his estate and the family underneath him and the grandchildren, like uh, the, the, uh, the word I'm looking for is slipping me, but the, the ones that were in charge of the homes, the, the progenitors, you know, the ones that were, that, that were the head of the home. They were always the one that would present the sacrifices to God. And that was during the time of Abraham and Job and during that type of uh, time. But that changed. Later on, it became where the Lord started drawing out the firstborn of every family. And then it didn't take long. When the law came, he started drawing the Levites towards himself. And he created a high priest because now he was going to, he was going to picture to us the relationship of Christ to the church. And he did that through the high priest and the Levitical priesthood. <clears throat> so now, even in groups like Mormonism, they actually call themselves the Levitical priesthood or the Aaronic priesthood. And so the men, you can be of the Aaronic priesthood, but the women can't. And so I'm sorry, that's not what the Bible says. Not only the men have access to God, 
And that's basically the cornerstone of their religion. Uh, folks, when ladies, you can't get into the celestial kingdom unless your husband calls your name. That's their doctrine. They have a veil ceremony, so you got to treat him very well. <laughs> you know, if you don't treat him well, he's going to say you can stay down there in that lower world, in that lower kingdom. They have what's called a veil ceremony. And they, if you go into their temple, there's a ceremony. What they'll do is they will pull the wife through a veil. And during that time, she whispers her secret name to him. And he has to remember that name. I hope he doesn't get Alzheimer's, <laughs> you know. And that's the name that he has to call in order to call her up into his kingdom. Because she can't come otherwise. Can you imagine the power you can have over these poor ladies saying, hey, if you don't treat me right, and no wonder you have 10, 20 wives. You better remember 10, 20 names, <laughs> you know. Or, hey, you don't treat me right, I'm not going to call you up. Wow, you talk about manipulation. That's wicked, man. <laughs> now, you talk to them at a door, you know what they're going to do? They're going to deny that. Because even some of them at the lower levels aren't even taught that. But folks, it's true. I've done my study. I know what they believe. <laughs> you know, I know the, what Joseph Smith was up to and what, what came out of that. And it's, I mean, that's the tamest part. There's much more uh, deeper wicked things involved in this group. But it's definitely not a Christian group. Please don't ever uh, pretend like it is. <clears throat> because they believe that Jesus Christ is the spirit brother of Lucifer. That is their doctrine. <laughs> and that, that Lucifer is just like you and I, that we all were a spirit brother, we all were children of Elohim, and we all have an, uh, the potential to become gods, and then we also can have children just like Elohim did, and that just process just continues on forever. And that's why they make a big thing about many wives, so you can have many spirit children in heaven, <laughs> or on the, on the planet that they put you, <laughs> you know? And so it's, it's a really uh, strange and manipulative religion. But today, because they know it sounds strange, they pull back from some of that stuff. And so when you go and talk to somebody, they won't even acknowledge it. Or they've twisted a little bit. Folks, but I'm going to tell you something. If you do a doctrine research into what they believe, there's not one doctrine that they have not corrupted from this book, from the Word of God. There's nothing they believe like you and I believe from doctrine of scripture, to Christ, to God, to the Holy Spirit, to salvation, I mean, the church, you name it. Everyone is corrupt. They're nothing like you. Please don't let that happen where you, in your mind, you say, oh, well, they're close. No, they're not. They're not. I have family members that are Mormons. It's not the same. And these people, if they don't turn to Christ, they will die and go to hell, and that's a sad, sad thing. And so if you just pretend like they're just like you, you are part of the problem. Amen? You need to tell them, no, Jesus Christ isn't a spirit brother. He was not born of, of Elohim. He is God. He's eternal. Amen. Amen? And you are not. And you never will be. You're not like him. Amen? You need salvation through, through our Savior. And so the Lord has always wanted us to draw near to himself. In Hebrews chapter 7, verse 18, it says, And there is verily a disannulling of the commandment going before for the weakness and unprofitableness thereof. And so what we have there 
is the Lord once again saying the law is not going to get you there. <laughs> the law does not draw you nearer to God. Amen? And so he says there has to be a disannulling of the commandment. And what took place, uh, he, he mentions in the Old Testament, is that he has to disannul that covenant, the Mosaic covenant, and give them a new covenant. And that covenant is where he'll put his law. See, the law isn't the problem, but the ability to keep it is. And so he'll take his law and put it within our hearts. And that's what he wants to do to his people. He says, I have to disannul that first one, that first uh, covenant of just changing your behavior, just doing this and doing that and don't do this and don't do that. And I have to go deeper than that. I have to take that law and put it with inside of you. And that's what happened to us when we got born again. <laughs> that's why it's very unnatural for a child of God to go against the moral law of God. For you to justify these sinful things in the Bible that are exposed by the law goes against everything that God created that salvation to be. Righteousness is supposed to be fulfilled through you because you've received Christ as your Savior. Amen? But not by the letter of the law, in newness of spirit now. In newness of spirit, being born again, regenerated. Amen? And so, it goes on to say, for the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did, by the which we draw nigh unto God. So the law didn't bring you close to God. The Bible says there's another thing that God did, a better hope through Jesus Christ, that did give you access to God through His blood. Amen? James 4.8, it says, Draw nigh to God, and He will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. So you know what? You, you have the potential to deal with your soul, to deal with your behavior by drawing near to God. That's what he says. Anybody that wants to deal with a sin in your life, I got a problem, preacher. I need to deal with this. I, need, I got a problem with my thoughts. I got a problem with my actions. I, I keep doing this. I keep going there. You know what your, 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 your solution is? To draw nigh to God. If you're not going to draw nigh to God... I'm sorry, you're just going to continue going through that cycle of defeat. Amen? Because you've got a corrupt soul, you've got a corrupt body, and those things just don't fix themselves. The only thing that can help you is when you draw close to the Lord and He regenerates first salvation, your spirit, but then He also strengthens you through that spirit. Amen? And by your walk with God and spending time with Him, reading the Bible, and, and thinking on Him throughout the day, not the stinking world, not your problems, not the problems of everybody else, not everything that's going on in the world, be careful how much time you consume in your thoughts. The Bible says that you'll have perfect peace if your mind is stayed on Him. Amen? So you have to draw nigh to Him. You'll never overcome that sin until you take seriously what God is saying here. I've given you an access. You have to access it by faith. You have to access it on purpose. Amen? And if you don't, you're not going to overcome your sin. You're just going to always go through that cycle. Lord, forgive me. Lord, forgive me. You know, it, it, Life is more than that. And it's really not that far away from you as a child of God to, to defeat these problems in your heart and mind. Amen? And it's not just sinful actions. It can be your thought processes. Sometimes the way you think about people. Some people always tend to go negative with their thoughts. You know, draw nigh to God. 
he'll put the positive into that thinking. And that's where Philippians chapter 4 talks about, 4 verse 8. Think on these things, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are righteous, and so forth. Amen? So he had made it possible, since it was out of our ability, to cleanse ourselves enough to come into his presence. And then as we walk into his presence, he, he, he says, I'm going to help you become clean in, with your hands, your heart, all these aspects of your life, I'm going to give you the strength to overcome all these things. Amen? But it's about drawing nigh to God. He knows that he is our solution. So he's doing whatever he can to entice you to come to him. Amen? He opened up the way. He sent his son. He shed the blood. He ripped the veil in half. He says, hey, come on. What more can I do for you? You have to access it. Amen? That's the priesthood. You have a priesthood. You can walk right in there. Amen? Not just someone before, oh, I can't go in there. You have to go in for me. No. The pastor goes in for me. No. You go in. It's your responsibility to go in and deal with it. Amen? Exodus 19, he said to Israel, Now therefore, if you'll obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then you shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. So he was telling the truth here. He was saying, if you obey my voice and keep my covenant. But the problem is this. Did they keep the covenant? They didn't. Does that mean that what he said means nothing? <laughs> no. He says, this is what you need to do. But the problem is you don't have the ability to do it. <laughs> so you have first have to see that you're a failure. That you can't. And then when you see that you can't, then I'm going to give you a new covenant. And I'm going to show you how I can in you. Amen? Then you will obey me. It'll be natural. You'll obey the Lord because you want to. You'll obey his promises because you want to. And then the Bible says, now you'll be a peculiar treasure. <laughs> you see, you're outward. It's not just even the behavior. It's not just the works you do. It's not just you serving in the church. That's a part of it. But the Bible also says that you have a light that has to be set on a candlestick so that they can see your good works. <laughs> so that light is far deeper than just your behavior. That light is a part of your spirit. See, if you're not walking with God, your spirit is going to be sour. You're not going to be sweet in your life. You're going to be critical. You're going to be angry. <laughs> and the reason why you are is because you're not drawing close to God. So even though your spirit has been born again, you still need to draw nigh because you need him to energize that spirit every day so that your light shines. And then when your light shines and the things that you do for the Lord will be exposed and people will see that. And then they will see, boy, these are a special people to God. See, that's what God wants is to create this peculiar people. That's what the law was for. So the Mosaic law, there was nothing wrong with it. The, the principles laid out were sure, and they were true, and they were just. But the problem is, all they could try to do is, is conform physically to that law. They couldn't spiritually have that spirit in their heart. And that's why they couldn't be peculiar till this day. <laughs> we know God wants them to be peculiar, but they haven't been yet. There's been aspects of clo being close to it. People saw, oh, look at Solomon and his wisdom. And, and there's bits of it that they could see. But as a nation, 
People haven't seen that yet. But they will when Jesus Christ returns. And they will receive the Messiah. Amen. I was talking to a preacher friend this week. We were talking about the covenants and how that there's no covenant <clears throat> that is apart from Jesus Christ. That means there's no covenant just given to mankind. Covenants have to be made through Christ. The Mosaic covenant is the only conditional covenant that there is. It's based on your behavior. That's why the Lord says, I have to disannul it. I have to cancel it. <laughs> I have to create a new covenant that goes through my son. And that's why he says the promises were made to the seed. Not seeds as in many, but unto the seed as a one. So the promises of God are made to one seed. Think about that for a second. So you as a Jew are claiming the covenants of God. And you're saying, oh, they're all for me. No, 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 no. Therefore you, if you receive the seed. If you don't take the seed, <laughs> then you don't get the promises of the covenant. So the promises were made to Christ. Christ is the one that fulfills it to you. That's why we're justified by the faith of Christ. Amen? It comes from heaven down. <laughs> Never does something come from us up, you see. And so God, God's teaching that to us through Israel and teaching us the importance of that, that change in our heart and that relationship with Christ and being born again and all those things are so vital for us to receive the promises of God. Even the promises to you. There's not a promise that has been made that is apart from the Lord Jesus Christ to you. <laughs> if you've got no relationship with Christ, you've got no answered promises, no fulfilled promises. You have to make much of Jesus. <laughs> Amen. He is everything. He, is, he must be preeminent. He must be central in our homes. Amen. Then those promises can be claimed by God's people. All right, so Revelation 5, verse 9 Another verse, it says, And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood, out of every kindred tongue and people and nation, and hath made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. This is a time where the church is standing before the throne of God. We're all up there. We're all singing this song. And we're thanking him. We're saying, thank you, Lord, that you've redeemed us out of every tongue, every language. So standing there before God are people that are represented by every language. Every people group, every nation upon the earth is standing before God that day. And they're all saying the same thing, <laughs> that thou art worthy. All to Christ. Amen. So there are no other religions. There are no other truths. <laughs> no matter who you are, no matter what your language is, no matter where you came from, no matter what corner of the earth, you, it's all the same. There's only one group of people that is going to stand before that throne, and that are those that have received the Lord Jesus Christ and count him to be the one that's worthy because he's the one that redeemed us to God by his blood out of every kindred, tongue, people, and nation. Amen? What a powerful truth. <laughs> by the way, this is before the seals were broken for the tribulation. So the rapture happens before the tribulation. <laughs> All right, that's chronological in the scripture. So just a little proof there for you. All right, so number three, here's some quick points here. The mediator of our priesthood. So there is a mediator, but not a man from this earth. Not a sinner like us. 
not even a high priest that was of the Levitical priesthood. But it says, for there is one God, one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. That's why he they emphasized the man Christ Jesus. There can be no mediator that did not become man for us so that he could die in our place. Amen. So when they told us about the mediator here, there's only one between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. Amen. That's why he, he kept his, his form. He kept his humanity. He, he didn't just shed it when he went back up to heaven. That's what the Jehovah's Witnesses believe. Well, they believe that Jesus was Michael the archangel and that he became a man. And then later after he died, he went back up and shed his humanity again and re, uh, reinstated his position as Michael the archangel. So he could do whatever he needs to do in the prof- prophetical things of the Bible. Uh, folks, that's not true. And in fact, in Hebrews it says, This man continueth ever interceding for us. This man continueth ever. <laughs> that means there's never a time where he will not con- where he will stop interceding on our behalf as a man before God on our behalf. So he did not take on the nature of an angel. He's been God that took on the nature of a man and now he is God and man. And he's got he's the only one that can be our mediator between God and man. Amen. Nobody else qualifies. He's the worthy one. Hebrews 9 verse 11, but Christ being come and high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. One time he accessed that holy place with his blood. Not the one down here, not the temple in Jerusalem, but he went up into glory. And he he went to the Father and said, this is what I did for our people. I've redeemed them. And he placed that blood upon that mercy seat in in glory. Amen. On your behalf. (laughs) Wow, that's powerful. Amen. And from then on, he became our mediator. He's our high priest. He's the one that always goes before us and and pleads our cause. He's our advocate. It says in 1 John chapter 2, If any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Amen. So anyways, number four, the sacrifice for our priesthood. We've already talked about this. But Jesus, our high priest, has offered up himself as the one and final sin offering. There can be no more sin offerings. No more sin offerings. Now, we know that in the millennial reign, there's going to be sacrifices. But not to cover or take away sin as a memorial. Because there's going to be lost people. And Jesus Christ will be king. It's interesting. I don't understand it. All I know is that's what the Bible says. Amen. But we know there's no more sacrifice that you need to make. But this man, after he'd offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. One sacrifice for sins forever. Amen? So anybody says, hey, we need to get a lamb or we need to get something sacrificed for your sins, say, no way, man. (laughs) We've already had the one sacrifice, and that's forever. Amen? Hebrews 10.26, in this passage, it's talking about a little different topic, but it has some insight here. For if we sin willfully after that we've received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. There remaineth no more sacrifice. 
So you can't go back and, and offer another sacrifice because you sinned. <laughs> Amen. The one that he gave is the basis of all your forgiveness. But he's telling you, this is what Jesus did for you. Why in the world would you, as a child of God, want to sin willfully? It says, you count the blood of the covenant an unholy thing. And you do despite unto his grace. You know, willfully sinning. You will sin. <laughs> you're going you're to blow it. You're going to blow your top. And you know what? Immediately the Holy Spirit's going to smite you. And if you're right with God, you're going to get that right. God expects that. He says he, he knows you've got a corrupt soul. He knows that your, your things will slip out of your mouth. But folks, if they do, immediately, whoever is around you, you just say, hey, that was wrong. I'm so sorry. And that shows everybody that you're saved, that you've got the Holy Spirit in you. But if you can willfully sin and continue on without confessing and without feeling bad and being under conviction, then I wonder whether you've received that sacrifice for sins. Amen? Because there's only one. <laughs> and so let's be careful about that stuff. Number five, prayer in the priesthood. Believers are to come confidently to the Lord in prayer. This is a, a practical part of our priesthood. It says in Hebrews 4, verse 14, Seeing then that we have a high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. So no matter what you're going through, he understands. You've been betrayed. You've been hurt. You've got sin in your life. He knows what that is. He's never sinned, but he understands the temptation of it. You know, you go before the Lord and say, Lord, you know this is hard. This is, this is in front of me every day, and I need your strength to overcome this. He says, I know what you're talking about. I became man for you. I felt that. I felt the loneliness. I felt the betrayal, you know, and the temptation. Like, uh, even, Lord, let this cup pass from me. I don't even understand that passage. I don't know how that could even happen. But he's showing us his humanity. He's saying, if there's another way, you know, please, but not my will be done, let thy will. And you wonder, how in the world can you have two opposing wills or two wills that aren't necessarily exactly the same in that same moment, you know? So obviously it's okay for us to wonder, Lord, I don't know if, this is, if I can do this. I don't know. I don't understand this. It's okay because Jesus went through that same thing. Yet he always had in his heart, but it doesn't matter what I feel like, I always surrender to your will, Father. Amen? And he did for us that day all right and so it goes on to say let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and to find grace to help in a time of need and so number six the confidence of the priesthood believers are to draw near to god in full assurance of their acceptance in christ that's why i really have a problem with the doctrines of losing salvation and i bring that across a lot here because you don't understand folks there are a lot of people, especially on a Sunday morning in this church, that are battling with that doctrine. Now, maybe you're not. <laughs> maybe you're, where you came from, it's pretty straight. But I know there's several 
several that have been taught you can lose your salvation. There are groups of religions out there and churches that teach that as a basic, basic, basic fundamental of their teaching that has been accepted as, as just a mainline church, you know, yet it's all over the place. And so I have to teach that. And I think that's why the Lord has got me going through Romans right now, just to bring that and hammer that home, how salvation only is through Christ. The righteousness of, of God can only come through the Lord Jesus Christ. You cannot manufacture that. You cannot drum it up down here and offer it to God. You can't say, oh, I messed up, and now am I going to heaven or hell? Well, if you're going to heaven or hell, you're going to hell. <laughs> if it's based on anything you're doing, no matter how good you think you are, you're going to hell. Because the best you think you are is still not good enough. It's just not good enough. And it's not a mixture of you and Christ. It's not a mixture of whether you're... I've almost got it, God. You make up the difference now. <laughs> no, no. You've got to come before him like, Lord, that has nothing to do with me. <laughs> There's no way I can deal with my sin. There's no way I can remove it from me. I have to completely rest upon what you did for me. That's salvation. And until you have that, there is no salvation. Amen? It's complete trust in what Christ has done. So confidence. And so you have to have that full assurance of your acceptance. You can't be, oh, well, I don't know, or maybe, I hope. You know, the hope is always with a question mark, never a period. Hope in the Bible is a period, not a, not a question mark. Amen. But the world, hope is always a question mark because they can't have anything. They can't be confident about anything. But we can as God's people. Amen. We can have great confidence. It says in Hebrews 10, verse 19, Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh, and having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. That is so vital for your priesthood. Amen? You can't be coming in like, oh, should I be here or not? God called you in. He opened up the way. You just pick yourself up and you go walk right in there. You just go into the, act, into the presence of God. And I understand you're going to have a, a, a fear of him. You're going to have a respect of him. You're not going in brashly, but you are going in boldly based upon the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. That makes the Father proud. That makes the Father rejoice. When you come before him, and your confidence is based upon what Jesus Christ is, he's saying, you got it now. <laughs> you know, when you walk in like that, all I see is my son, Jesus. That's what I see. You come in cowering, I don't know who that is. That's not my son. You know, my son comes in with a perfect record. <laughs> There's not a blemish on his name. Not one black spot. Amen. That's the way you come in. Amen. 1 John 5.14, this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. <laughs> so with that assurance and confidence comes answered prayer. And I think that's why many times our prayers don't get answered because we're not going before him knowing that the prayers reflect the Son and what God wants for your life. 
So it's not a name it and claim. It's not going boldly, Lord, you got to give me this thing. You got to give me that thing. You got to give me money. You've got to make me rich. <laughs> you know, that's not what he's asking for. And so when you say, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. You know how you get your prayers answered is when your desires are his desires. You, you can't just go, go to him with a worldly focus. That's not his son at all. But the world is telling you can. The, the charismatic churches say you can. <laughs> Name it and claim it. What do you want? Just go to God, he'll give it to you. <laughs> then you've got the word of faith movement. They believe you can just manifest whatever you want by just saying the words. Because God created by speaking. Wow. <laughs> Something missing in this doctrine. <laughs> Amen. What if you're a worldly person? What if you're living by the lust of your flesh? The lust of your eyes and the pride of life? What if what you want is based upon what the world is offering you? The positions and the power. What about what you want is based on the lust of your eyes? Like Solomon, whatsoever things my eyes desired, I took. Lord, give me this. And so he's going to answer your prayer based upon the lust of your eyes? No. Pride of life, lust of the flesh, whatever feels good. Lord, I claim that I will not be sick anymore. Was it Kenneth Copeland that, that uh, prayed away COVID-19? COVID-19 gone, he said. COVID-19 gone. As if God's going to say, what? It didn't go. <laughs> His prayer was not heard. Because he's doing that just to satiate the flesh. What about if God wants you to go through something? Have you ever considered that? Maybe he wants you to be sick. Maybe the only way that you can become powerful to God is for him to take you down a few notches. Put a thorn in your flesh like the Apostle Paul. Have we considered that? See, that's the boldness. That's how we come before the throne of God. Not this, you give this to me because this is what I want. <laughs> I always say the, the, those three things, the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and pride of life. The lust of the flesh is to, is, is to, is to um, oh, I'm trying to remember that. Uh, well, the second one, lust of the eyes, is to have whatever you want to have. So what you have to do with those three things, you have to put them in the Lord's category. <laughs> Say, Lord, what do you want me to have? That's how you pray. What do you want me to have? That's what Jesus did. Not my will, but thy will be done. And so we no longer say, Lord, I'm going to claim it because this is what I want. But our prayer is based upon what do you want me to have? <laughs> you start looking at your life serving God and what you need to go forward for God. If you ask God about that, he will answer every prayer that you ask for. <laughs> Lord, I can't get to church. I need a way to get to church. My car's broke down. I want to serve you, Lord. You know, that's God's will for you, to go to church. A lot of people say, well, I can't go to church because I have to do this now. Have you ever prayed about it? <laughs> You've come up with your own answer. You have figured out your life apart from the throne of God. You've come up with your solution, which took you away from the house of God, yet you've never went to the Lord with that and says, Lord, 
I want to have exactly what you want. Maybe it is because you have things that you're not supposed to have. And now that has caused you to leave the things of God. All I know is this, that if you want what God wants you to have, it'll never take you away from the things of God. In fact, it'll help you get there. Amen? The pride of life is what you want to be. You know, everybody's got a desire. This is what I want to be. I've had this in me since I was a kid. <laughs> well, okay, I'm not saying that's not what God wants, <laughs> but are you willing to put that on the altar and become a living sacrifice and say, Lord, this has always been a desire of mine to be this, but maybe this isn't what you want me to be? See, the pride of life is the world offering you something to become what they want you to become. Lately, there's been a lot out there about these musicians that have sold their souls to get fame and fortune. And I believe it's true. I believe they do make pacts with the devil. And I believe the devil does give them some things. But they're all miserable. <laughs> they're not happy because the devil can't bring joy <laughs> in your life. And I think many of them regret it. I heard one, uh, I know you probably heard this as well. It's all over the social media. But the one video with Bob Dylan, who is a very... Uh, famous musician way back from the 60s and so forth. And he was talking how he made a deal with the devil, the high commander, he called him. Yet people are listening to that music like, oh, that's such good music. <laughs> it was based on a, selling his soul. And he says, all I'm trying to do is keep up my end of the bargain. That's what he told this interviewer. <laughs> wow. Now you say, Preacher, does that mean he can't get saved? I don't think so. I think he could get saved. But, you know, they become so convinced and deceived by that satanic line, their desire for things, that they don't want to be saved. They don't want to give up what they got. Because they probably will have to. The fame, the fortune, will all fly away if they turn to Christ. That's the way it is in Hollywood. You see these guys that... You know, that we're Hollywood, they're famous, and all of a sudden they get saved, and all of a sudden they don't get movie parts anymore. <laughs> because Jesus and Hollywood doesn't mix, amen? And you're miserable if you try to make it mix. Some people tried for a while, but it's miserable, you know? Anyways, I don't know how, where I got from that, but uh, well, I was talking about the pride of life. You know, just being what God wants you to be. And so in your prayer life, if you can say, Lord... Uh, I, I want to, <laughs> that first one just slips me. I've, I've taught this so many times. Uh, I, I want to be what you want me to be. I want to have what you want me to have. I want to feel what you want me to feel. Lust of the flesh. Pleasures of life. Right? If you can give up those three areas of your life, you can have your prayers answered. <laughs> if you're not willing to, you won't get your prayers answered. Because a lot of people, I don't like going through this. God, take this away. The Lord says, no, no, no. That's not the way I answer prayer. But you can boldly come before the throne of grace. So, Lord, I want to be what you want. And you're, I want you to make it happen, Lord. Please make me what you want me to be. And he says, let me fast track you. <laughs> Amen. It's amazing. He'll make your head spin. <laughs> but it's not going to be what you want, maybe. It's not going to be the big money. It's not going to be the big job, the big career. In fact, you may have to give it up. My brother, 30 years with my father's business. I was 16 years, my dad's business. We had shares in the company. We, we were set for life. Set for life. 
That's why when people leave church because of jobs, I say, there's something wrong with you. Don't pretend like I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> In order for me to do God's will, I had to give up everything you're trying to fight to keep. <laughs> Amen? And that's what happened. My brother did the same thing. Now he's not going to have that business. And he uh, has to live on a meager salary, <laughs> you know? So, folks, you've got to be careful about what you want. <laughs> Are you willing to have what God wants you to have? I remember in Kenora one time, we, you know, we were in Kenora. We were much worse shape than we are now, but in many ways we were in better shape. It was just seeing that God was just blessing in a powerful way. But uh, we, we were making $1,600 to $2,000 a month. That's what the money we were getting as, as a pastor there. The church, I think, could, could probably pay us. I think we started $800 a month, went to fifteen. That's as high as, or uh, $1,500. And that's as high as he ever got in the eight years I was there. $1,500 a month. And the rest I'd always have to just trust God with. And there's times, you know, I remember Madeline one time, she wanted to go visit Grandma and Grandpa. It's a three and a half hour drive. We didn't have gas. I go, we don't have gas. I said, pray about it. And she did. We had someone come to the door, knock on the door, and said, the Lord told me to give this $200 to you. And I knew that was an answer to my daughter's prayer. So I said, we're going to see Grandma and Grandpa. No, that was prayer. Boldly, you know. Boy, in those situations, that's where you see God move. <laughs> you want everything? You, you want to control everything. You want to have the bank account. You want to make sure you have everything you need, all the money. The only thing is you'll give up God. <laughs> and that access to God, you don't even know what that's about. Amen. Nobody here is, is uh, immune to this. <laughs> we can all fail. We can all start leaning on this world to such an extent that we want what the world offers. We want this. And I've seen the young people, I want to do this with my life. I want to do that. <laughs> and I understand that's in them. They've got a desire and they've got, uh, you know, got big eyes for things. But you have to, as, as adults, you have to ground them. You have to say, it's not about the world. This world's going to burn with a fervent heat. It's not about going out there and getting, making your mark and so forth. That mark is nothing. Cain uh, and Abel. Abel, the Bible says, that his sacrifice, him being dead, yet speaketh. You want to leave a mark? You follow God. You do what the Lord asks you to do. That's what leaves a mark. This world will spit you out and, and you'll be done. And they'll never remember you. Amen. All those riches that you think you want, you know, you're going to look back at all the time you missed with your kids, the time that you could have been there protecting and guiding and teaching them, and you made the almighty dollar your God, the master. It's not worth it. <laughs> there is a life that God has for all of us within his will. But there's also a calling of the world that, he, that the devil has for you. And the only way to combat that is if you can take those three things and switch them over. Say, Lord, I don't want to have what this world wants me to have. All those advertisements, all the things that my friends want and what the neighbor has and all these things, that means nothing. <laughs> I was telling you about that prayer in, in Kenora when we had a need there. And I said we didn't have a lot of money. The church didn't have a lot of money. So we prayed like for ourselves personally. We needed a vehicle 
that could pick up kids, and we did a lot of that, picked up kids from reserves and, and so forth, the bus ministry, but we didn't have money <laughs> to, to buy these things. So we began to pray for that, and, then, and it took about a year or two, and also the Lord provided us with a 15-pastor van. I didn't pay a cent for it, but it took some prayer. <laughs> and not long after that, it was about less than a year, we had another 15-pastor van given to us. Just like that. The Lord said, oh, you waited so long, I'll give you two. <laughs> you know, Because we wanted to have what God wanted us to have for his purposes. Amen? I'm not saying, you know, and there's some things, like the Bible says that he gives you the desires of your heart. There are some things maybe personally to you, you'd say, man, I just really have enjoyed this. I would love to be able to do this with my life. Not to, not to distract me from God's will, but I just enjoy doing this. You know, sometimes God, without you even praying about it, will give that to you in the midst of your praying for the things that you know God wants you to have. That's how good God is. Amen? But you know what we do? We make these things that are our desires that we put on the shelf for the things of God, we make them our prayer list. <laughs> Lord says, let me take care of those. You just pray for the things that are in the will of God. And if you pray in the will of God, I will answer every prayer that you ask for. Amen? Amen. Sometimes your prayers have to be adjusted as you go along. <laughs> you know, I've been praying for this, but I don't think the Lord really wants me to go that way. Well, then adjust your prayer. What are you praying for then? It's a waste of time. Pray in the will of God. So this name it and claim it is nonsense. It's nonsense. It's heresy. That's what it is. Amen? Anyways, I think our time is done. Um, wow. I have the sacrifices. Maybe we'll have to do that next time. I think I have these also in a, um, in a message that I preached, uh, the New Testament sacrifices in, online. You can look at that. I might preach this next week. We'll see what the Lord leads. Amen. But let's bow our heads. So I'm going to give you an opportunity as a priest to sort out your position before the Lord. You're supposed to be a peculiar people. That means that you need to be in the will of God. It means that you should have what God wants you to have. You should be what God wants you to be. You should just desire what God wants you to desire. Maybe you need to start praying for that and say, Lord, you need to change my heart in relation to what I'm praying for. Because I feel I'm just praying for myself. <laughs> but I want to pray for your will now. What do I need to successfully do your will so that you can be glorified and you can be sure you come boldly before the throne of grace with that kind of heart? There's not one thing that he'll leave behind. But all you want is money. All you want is this, that, or the other. Folks, you, you'll probably just continue to be discouraged. The Lord not answering. Or answering and you just don't know it.